1: Hey, Nicole. Hey, Janine. How has it been this week? Well, this week... I am in the mountains with zero reception. I have been at a wedding trying to dodge COVID. And I was at a table with the rest of the bridal party because my husband officiated the wedding and I was a bridesmaid in the wedding. And one of the other MFM specialists that was also in the wedding, she turned and she said, what's the likelihood that we catch COVID this weekend? And I said, very high if someone else has COVID. And uh, she said, that's what I thought you would say. I'm like, yes, absolutely. The only thing that pretty much saves us is that, we're pretty much at the same table with the same people we've been with all weekend and we've been tested and it's outside so prayerfully no one had covid there and prayerfully we were distance away from them enough not to catch it
0: thank god hopefully no one had covid we don't want this to be like the wedding in maine thank god your husband is a, a great minister and he's not crazy like the minister in maine who then went back and spread it to his church i know for a fact because i watched you prep we were on the zoom because you don't have reception it's funny so for those who don't know I was watching Nicole get ready I mean she took literally every precaution even down to doing her own hair she does her own hair regularly and her hair always looks great but like she was like nope I got it she was taking every precaution you could imagine so if anyone is not going to catch COVID it's going to be Nicole Blattney you hear me
1: yeah I hope so Uh, I hope I have taken enough precautions but it doesn't make me uber paranoid I love this friend and she's pushed her wedding off two times and obviously if James was officiating I felt very obligated to go she was at my wedding with bells and whistles on and she's always supported me but ordinarily if it weren't her I would not go I would literally cancel if James was not officiating and about the hair thing I'm just picky with hair I, and it, it wasn't even the COVID thing I was the only little spot in the wedding like let's be real the bride is of mixed race she has some crinkle in her hair, but it's not the same as mine. And when the hairstylist says they've never done curly hair, ethnic curly hair, I was like, I'm good. I I am good. You will not, (laughs) you will not get in my head. I don't blame you. Like that's something that maybe we should talk about in the future. It's
0: a real struggle because everyone can't do our hair, right? Especially when you're in a place that's that you're not familiar with. Like you said, you're literally in the mountains. Like, what do you do? Thank God you had enough sense to bring hair product because I probably would have been stuck with some hard hair that I knew was gonna crunch and break off the next day. But I would have been like, oh, well, gotta do it.
1: I was just afraid. I was like, she's not gonna be able to comb my hair. She's gonna have me looking super whack. Everybody else, you know, had these braids in their hair. I don't know, I guess that's the thing to like part your hair and then braid your hair to one side and then put an updo and I was telling one of the other bridesmaids I'm like black people when we wear our hair down we've achieved success we wear our hair up all the time if you have natural hair you're probably wearing it up or you wear a twist out all the time so when we wear it down it's like fresh and pretty and flowing and we have achieved something but it's like the opposite way with Caucasians so um I just did not want her to try to do an updo on my hair and then miserably fail. So she couldn't get in my head. So mm -mm.
0: don't blame you at all. So listen to how crazy this is. This week, we need to mark history because my 80 year old father is now on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) So as I told people, he's gonna be liking all your stuff. girl so listen not only is he liking things he does stories i mean he's he seems in a week to have become more proficient in facebook stories than i am and i've been on facebook probably since the beginning and the crazy part is i mean he literally has found hundreds of friends in a week, I mean, wow. for goodness sakes. And I was like, sir, what are you doing? But he does spend a, the large majority of his time on Facebook. So I'm sure that his screen time notification is probably crazy, right? Like, it's probably like, you spend 23 hours a day on Facebook, right? So that is hilarious. I don't know what this man is doing on Facebook. I just pray that it is not illegal. He won't do anything illegal. But I just pray he does not accidentally post something that he's going to regret later because he is 80. So whew, hide your mamas. And God help us all for my father being on Facebook. He's going to be
1: sliding into the DMs. (laughs) I hope that he is not.
0: God help us all, please. I hope that he's not sliding into anybody's DMs. So last week we talked about Nisi Nash and Jessica Betts. I found out that my mom subscribes to people magazine. So I kind of brodied her magazine and I flipped through it, which first of all, let me be very clear. I'm a little disappointed in the article and I'm a little disappointed because we had all this hype and publicity about it. And literally the cover it's her on the corn the top corner. So she's not the cover story. She's not like the big story in it. It's just like a feature. And then look at the corner. Don't you feel a little slighted? Oh yeah. But nonetheless, She did get a feature. So I found out in the article that speaking of sliding in the DMs, that's how they met. Literally, Jessica slid into Niecy's DMs and they met in 2015. They were friends. Niecy was happily married then and Jessica was in a relationship then. So they just became like super friendly, right? I actually found the title of the article um, very refreshing because it literally goes along the lines of what we said last week. The title of the article is I fell in love with my best friend. Yep. So I took a couple of quotes that Nisi said. So she said that I wasn't suppressing my sexuality before. I don't feel like my marriage is coming out of anywhere, she said. But rather, a going into myself and being honest about who I love. I'm not limiting myself on what that love is supposed to look like. So I'm thinking she's pansexual, right? I think you were right, Nicole. You were surprised and you we're like she's always been talking about men. Well, she's not specific to one gender or the other. So I think that we analyze the situation pretty right. Let's give ourselves a little pat on the back, huh?
1: Yay, pat on the back. Okay, girls, so what's on your timeline this week? Okay, so I think
0: that you probably know that topic is the killing of Breonna Taylor. I did not want to... Approach the subject for a number of reasons. The first of it being, I don't feel like I'm a journalist, right? And I feel like this case and this situation and this young lady deserves the top journalist to cover this kind of story. However, I have to get past that. And I have to get past my feelings about the case, uh, my disappointment with the case. And I had to get to the point of understanding that if you have a platform and this podcast is our platform it is important to speak out about issues and so at this point we are we have made the decision a very conscious decision to discuss the Brianna Taylor case so while Brianna Taylor has been plastered on our timeline and i looked last night um so that i could get the most updated numbers on instagram there are 805,000 posts about brianna most of which are memes, um, some sort of catchy way to get people to pay attention to their message. There have been people who have posted very racy pictures. And then um, at the end, it says, now that I have your attention, how about we arrest the killers of Brianna Taylor? A lot of this, has garnered attention but not necessarily any forward motion with this case right there's something called memification oftentimes with black women and specifically in this case with Breonna Taylor the memification has kind of taken on a life of its own which essentially makes this more of a a topic for people to search for the memes weren't necessarily driving any forward motion with the case or making any real headway or progress with the case and that is what we need So everything on social media has been arrest the killers of Breonna Taylor. I mean, everything from common people to celebrities. It's just been all over social media. It almost makes... Breonna Taylor look like a fad, right? It's kind of uh, temporary. It's the cool thing to do or the woke thing to do to say arrest the killers of Breonna Taylor, but we haven't had any progress in the case. So yes, it's woke to, you know, make mention of it, but nothing is happening. Right. So this case highlights misogyny noir. So misogyny noir is misogyny directed towards black women specifically where race and gender collide and essentially play a role in a certain bias and this case is a perfect example of that basically we know that brianna was killed by the police we know that there are no clear-cut answers mainly because there's no footage right we know that she deserves more than a post you know her family deserves to have justice but we kind of just are at a loss for what to do and how to make progress I also didn't really want to do this story because I felt like we didn't have all of the details right like I felt like there was something missing in what the news was reporting and I felt like it was going to come out later and there was going to be something that we missed or something that it was going to make us second guess why we had supported this case from the get go. Nicole and I both watched the documentary and the documentary was eye opening so I'm going to be honest. Initially when I like saw the case, I thought, like I said, that there was something else. There was some backstory. Maybe she had gotten caught up in the wrong crowd maybe you know this was a situation of mistaken identity maybe there was something that we were missing because you know up until now the media portrayed it it was like we were getting bits and pieces of the story and it wasn't all coming together now after watching the documentary I understand that the reason why the case is not coming together is because there are a lot of people who were involved there were a lot of officers involved there were a lot of um, civilians I should say involved in the case meaning Brianna her current boyfriend and her ex-boyfriend there were just a lot of people involved and there were so many missteps along the way that is why we didn't have all of the information but again the documentary gave that and I'm not going to go over the entire case I do strongly suggest that everyone if you have not seen the documentary the New York Times presents I believe it's on FX and I believe that it's also on Hulu. I watched it on Hulu. Give it a look. You know, it deserves the attention that it's been getting and it deserves the attention because I feel like to date, it seems to be the most comprehensive explanation as to what happened on that evening. You will be upset probably, likely. If you have a heart, you will most likely be upset, frustrated, angry, mad, not understand, not able to understand why things happened the way that they did. You know, it's beyond a race issue when you watch this, right? It's about the missteps. And if any of those things did not happen, Breonna Taylor would still be alive today. So, you know, I would say take a look at the documentary.
1: For me, this is not about not having all of the information. It is simply about the respect that is lacked in the Black community. We are not respected as Black women in this society. I can just say it plain because yes, we're always waiting on where, where's the rest of the information? Where's the explanation? We don't want to misspeak. And then all of a sudden it's like, aha, gotcha. Uh, this is why this black woman was shot. She was with the wrong crowd or she was doing this or she was doing that. But we have to step back and say, okay, if this was not a black woman, would she have been treated in this manner? So if we thought, because initially I thought, oh, they were looking for her boyfriend. He was being followed because of drug charges. But even if that were the case, which was not the case, they were looking for an ex. So that was not even the case. An ex that hadn't been there since the beginning of, he was in jail initially. Uh, Got out of jail, one with, was was not with her she was with a completely different man who had no record, even if that were the case though, even if her boyfriend had charges, should they have kicked in their door in the middle of the night and opened fire, people were firing from outside of the home. That is unacceptable. I don't think that that would have been the case if she had not been an African American woman when a Caucasian boy and I'll say boy because it looked like a boy can go and shoot up a church in South Carolina. And the police apprehend him without a scratch and then take him to Burger King on the way to jail versus a no knock warrant being issued on data that was outdated. Where is the respect there? I
0: agree. So part of my research for this was trying to find some statistics, right? And I wasn't able to find any succinct statistics from any government organization. However, I was able to find a few statistics from the Washington Post and the Washington Post started started tracking the deaths of african americans at the hands of the police in 2015 i'm going to give you a couple of statistics from that since 2015 according to the washington post police have fatally shot and or killed so that means killed them without a firearm nearly 250 women 89 of those women were killed in their homes like brianna taylor black women have accounted for less than one percent of overall fatal shootings of females let me say that that subset of black women who are 13% of the female population account for 20% of the deaths by the hands of the police much like any other cause of death our fatality rate is so much higher and i just wonder why it's the same question that we would ask as to you know why black people in general make up such a large portion of the people who die in custody and or while being apprehended by the police but black women specifically And I think that it hurts more because, like you said, Nicole, it doesn't get the attention that it needs. Yeah, it might get the attention on social media. It might get the attention of a journalist here or there or a celebrity here or there. But are we really making any progress? Do we just have another problem that we've uncovered that's being highlighted by the death of Breonna Taylor? Part of the reason why I think it was important to talk about this case this week specifically, Nicole, is because we had two victories this week, right? And I'm going to call them victories because they seem to be the first sign of forward motion since Breonna Taylor's uh, March 13th death, right? Brianna Taylor was killed six months ago today. With that being said, Six months has gone past, and we are literally just getting glimpses of forward momentum in this case. So the first one is, this week we found out that the mayor announced that Yvette Gentry will be the interim police chief. She's a black woman. I applaud them for making the decision to to bring a black woman in to take over the post. They brought her out of retirement. She was deputy chief when she retired in 2014 and Gentry agreed to come back and serve in the role until they come up with a permanent chief, which I think is smart. I think that the climate there right now is cause for them to bring in an African American woman. She was deputy chief before, so she has experience clearly had a very successful career till retirement. So I think that that's a a plus someone that looks like Brianna Taylor, that looks like us, that will, you know, hopefully have some sort of compassion for the things that African-American women go through someone that can maybe neutralize the the situation um, and hopefully help to get some more progress. And then the second glimmer of hope that we got this week is the announcement that a grand jury will hear the findings of Brianna's case. We would hope that after the announcement of the grand jury that Attorney General Daniel Cameron will make some sort of announcement about the indictment um, after the jury finding.
1: I pray so. Um, those are teeny tiny steps And it's bad that we have to say that these are our successes for the week because these are not successes. Cameron gave that speech at the RNC, and he mentioned justice for Breonna Taylor. And I was sitting there thinking, well, you're the person that can actually make sure that the charges stick. So why are you all talking no action? I don't have much faith in him, although he is a Black man, and you would think that he would identify with the social injustices we go through. But that is not always the case. And that's why our sister girl that got appointed to the interim chief position, the verdict's still out on that too. So I am a wait and see type person. So I'm going to wait. I am not going to hold my breath. It would not surprise me if things continue to move slowly in the great state of Kentucky. You're a Kentucky listener. Make sure you spread the word. Go ahead and and, uh, write your elected officials and let them know how you feel. Because We can't just be silent and post stuff to our friends here and there. We do have to contact our elected officials and hold them responsible for what they say they're going to do, and that is to be the voice for the people. And if we're not voicing our concerns to elected officials, then what concerns are they voicing? They're voicing the concerns of those that speak, not those that don't speak. So please be vocal and be active.
0: And i just like to add one thing, Nicole. Every elected official has a website, right? Every elected official has a media team. Every elected official has some sort of correspondent that is their job to contact you and to listen to your concerns, right? That's what your tax dollars pay for. And whether you utilize it or not, you're still paying for it, right? So get the most out of your money. Get the most out of your vote. And while I know that the um, presidential elections are coming up this November. I think that it's important to make note that this is a perfect example of making sure that you vote in your local elections, right? The local elections are what make or break cases like this because the people that are in charge locally are the ones that make the decisions for your life. They make the decisions about the police force. They make decisions about how the police are funded in your local community. They make those decisions that could literally be life or death for you. So it's really important to make sure that you vote in not only the general election, but the primaries. It's very, very important.
1: Also make sure you register. So the registration deadlines are coming up quickly this whole month of October. There are going to be different state deadlines. So if you're in Texas, the deadline is October 5th. You can't just show up at the polls, not register to vote. You have to go and register to vote. That is a real thing. Don't just think you're going to show up on the day of the election. Make sure you know when the registration deadline is and make sure you register. We can post the registration deadlines and we can post the mail-in
0: deadlines. We will post all of this information. So we will find the deadlines for each state and make sure that we post that so that you all can share it. This is all about sharing it with your community, right? Like, make sure that you're not just holding the information to yourself. Share it with someone else. So today, rather than sharing our personal stories or sharing stories that you all write into us, which we love, by the way, we decided that we're going to share some of the stories of the 250 African-American women who have been killed by the police or in police custody. As you all know, I'm from the DMV. I thankfully only found um, a few cases in the DMV area. I decided to go with the death of Natasha McKenna. I did some research and I found multiple articles, everything from the Huffington Post to Wikipedia. I'm crediting the sources, but you can find the story anywhere. But I'm going to give you brief details about the story and then Nicole and I are going to talk through it. Natasha was born January 9th, 1978, and she died February the 8th, 2015 at age 37 while in police custody in Fairfax County, Virginia. This might not be the first time that you've heard the story. I think that it's important to listen. And I think that it's important to listen to these stories until we don't need to share these stories anymore. So Natasha had been previously diagnosed with uh, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, and depression. And she was diagnosed with those things in adolescence, right? So um, she had documented, you know, mental health issues, She initially called 911 to report an assault, and she was taken into a mental health facility, a state-run mental health facility, and while she was being examined, they informed the police that she needed to be picked up because there was a warrant that was outstanding for her arrest for a suspected attack on a police officer. Um, So they notified the Fairfax County Police, she was in Alexandria, I believe at the time, and they notified the Fairfax County Police, for whatever reason, there was some sort of of delay in the pickup and I was unclear and I was unable to find any details about what the delay was caused by, but there was a delay because of the delay they said that her mental health was steadily deteriorating because she wasn't being treated you know for whatever reason I don't know whether it was paperwork you know being understaffed and overpopulated whatever the reason was there was a delay however the police did come to pick her up but because of the nature of her arrest and the fact that they were executing a warrant for her arrest due to her being accused of assaulting a police officer McKenna was removed from her cell with her arms restrained behind her back in handcuffs her legs were shackled and there was a spit mask that was placed over her face. She was clearly at the time, based on multiple sources, going through what they consider a mental health crisis. So it had been escalated from a quote-unquote episode to a crisis. Um, it was reported that she was naked and it took six officers to quote-unquote restrain her. Now, I have a hard time believing that because she's five foot four, she's 130 pounds, and they were having a difficult time quote-unquote restraining her, even though they had already handcuffed her arms shackled her feet and put a spit mask over her face but i'm unclear as to how they were having a difficult time restraining her but nonetheless they claimed that she refused to bend her knees to be put into a chair to transport her they put this mask on her and she like i said they claimed she wouldn't bend her knees so they tased her they did not tase her once they tased her four times after they tased her she suffered cardiac arrest After suffering cardiac arrest, they um, were able to successfully resuscitate her en route to the, the hospital. Once she got to the hospital, it was determined that she was brain dead. Five days later, they removed her from life support. And on February 8th, 2015, she was pronounced dead.
1: This case has a lot of flaws. So one, the patient, and I'll say patient because she should have been a patient in a psych ward and not in a jail. So the patient was picked up because of, Concern for a past assault uh, to an officer. Now, whether what her mental state was at that time, we don't know. But we know that her mental state uh, was very obviously uh, not stable, according to reports of this case. Um, they knew that she wasn't stable because they were getting ready to transport her to a psychiatric facility. So, if you know you're working with a psychiatric patient, why do you not have the training to know, hey, this? Person is not going to be able to follow commands. This person is not oriented enough and logical enough at that time to comprehend the things that you're saying. The person was schizophrenic. Who knows? She could have been having paranoid delusions, hearing voices, telling her that the cops were out to get her or that they were going to kill her or anything. That is what happens when we have patients that are not treated uh, properly, or even some that are treated properly. Some schizophrenics are very, 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 very difficult. Furthermore. Why did this officer feel a need to tase somebody four times? Um, we know that if you are shocking a patient that's already on medicines that have the side effects of causing uh, cardiac arrhythmias, that's something that the officer should know. And that's something that the officer should be trained. Hey, if somebody's restrained, then you can pick them up and put them on the stretcher and transport them out. You don't have to make them bend their knees to follow commands. They should know that. Somebody that's having a psychiatric break is not going to necessarily follow commands. If the person is already restrained, how are they a threat to the officers there? I don't know. Like if you are in shackles, how are you a threat? If you have a shield on to prevent you from spitting on someone, how are you a threat? She's not biting you. She's not hitting you. How exactly is she a threat? So that really upsets me on a lot of levels. And then it also upsets me because people try to justify the actions of this woman as a reason for the actions of these officers. Um, who are undertrained in handling situations like this. And it's not. We have to think of mental illness as any other disease. And I know we've said that on other episodes. If you have a mental illness, you need to see a health professional and get treated for that mental condition. And the fact that they are vilifying this mental illness and the behavior of this woman when she obviously is in a situation where she's on a break, it's unacceptable. There was a friend of mine this weekend at the wedding. And sometimes I think that Caucasian people say what they think you want to hear as a black person to try to spark a conversation to let you know that they're an ally. So this husband says, hey, we have to do something about the police. And it was random. He just said it. And I said, well, yeah. I said, I-, I think that there are bad apples across every profession. I said, there's bad doctors. There are bad attorneys. Like, there are bad police. And I think that those police officers need to be held accountable. And uh, he said, yeah, but... Something has to be done about that. He said, I mean, there's just too many incidences right now where police are not trained how to de escalate situations and they feel threatened. Did I think that if police officers were paid more and required to get a certain education level, then perhaps we wouldn't see all of this? Perhaps we wouldn't see them. Arming people that have mental illnesses because they would have gotten the proper education and training instead of, in some states, not having to have an education, going to a police academy, which is very short training. And then, hey, the next month or even the next day, you're considered an officer. And I said, huh, he has a point. Maybe that could um, negate this case in particular with officers not knowing how to handle this situation. And I think correctional officers should get the same training.
0: I think that the training is important, right? Like, I think that any job that you directly affect people's life and their ability to continue life, I think that you need to have extensive training, right? So while I don't think that, you know, you need to go through as much training or education as a doctor like you have, Nicole, I think that it's important that it's more than a couple of weeks in an academy. And I think that it's also important to have the dialogue about what that training looks like. I think that that training looks more like empathy training, right? I think that it looks like being able to connect with the people in the community that you're serving. And I think that it's important to also address that oftentimes, and I have a few friends that are police officers, oftentimes, and the, you know, the media and the, you know, the way that our society is set up, it kind of lends to this thought process, but they Police officers have the thought that they every time that they put on their uniform, they are then putting their lives in danger, and it's almost this mentality of them against us. While they are in civilian clothes, they're a citizen of the community. The moment that they put on their uniform, it somehow puts them at an adversarial position with the community, and that's not the case. Like The reason why people push for community policing is because it's been shown that people who... Um, are familiar with the community that they serve, that are a part of the community that they serve, they police in a very different manner than people who are for lack of better terms, shipped into another community and feel like they're somehow protecting the community from themselves, right? The dialogue that needs to be had needs to look like, what does empathy look like? What does community policing really look like? I think that's a conversation that needs to be had. And then also, I think that there needs to be some training on de-escalating situations, right? Why aren't our officers trained to attempt to de-escalate the situation prior to using any force outside of themselves. I think that oftentimes a lot of these lives could be saved with a simple conversation rather than a pulling of a trigger. I think that empathy training and de-escalation training, they're really important in that conversation that, you know, that's just my opinion.
1: No, I agree with that. Uh, I mean, according to the National Police Academy, they have empathy training and they are supposed to be trained to de-escalate and they are supposed to be trained to disarm, not shoot to kill unless it's considered a real threat. And so um, so I do agree with that. I do agree with uh, training and de-escalation. I do agree with uh, my friend's husband that says, hey, you need a four-year degree in this and you should be trained on all facets of how to handle people and how to communicate with people. And maybe that way we won't see so many of these uh, incidences. Uh, I do think that police officers have a really hard job. I respect them greatly because when you are putting your life on the line every single day, that's not something to take lightly. We hear about these cases, but there are also cases where they are really, really in harm's way. And some people are really out to kill the police as well. And some people are out to kill other people. Being a police officer is a dangerous situation. I just, because it's so dangerous and because they always have to be on high alert, I just want there to be a time when they don't feel that just because we are Black, we are automatically a threat. For me, it's more training and cultural sensitivity and not assuming that all Black people are a threat.
0: I agree. And I think that goes to the the bias that we have as a culture, not necessarily just for police officers, but the systematic racism that is woven through the fabric of our community and the fabric of our country, it's just does not lend to people seeing African Americans, and more specifically, African American women as non threatening. And that's unfortunate. And until that aspect of our culture changes, unfortunately, we'll be having conversations like this.
1: Yes. So um, the next case I I think we should definitely highlight is the case of a Tatiana Jefferson. This is an example of somebody that did nothing wrong. And if you don't remember this case, let's recap it because I don't think that it's gotten enough attention. Initially, we were really excited because things were moving, but the pandemic has sort of halted everything. And so the neighbor is trying to highlight them again. So a Tatiana Jefferson was a 28-year-old Black woman who graduated from my alma mater, Xavier University of Louisiana, in 2014. She worked in human resources and cared for her ailing mother and her young nephew in the home in which she was killed. Officers went to the home of Tatiana Jefferson on East Allen Avenue on the early morning of October 12, 2019, after responding to a call from a neighbor about the front door of the house being open. Tatiana was on the couch with her 8-year-old nephew playing video games. According to her nephew, they heard noises outside the window so Tatiana got her gun from her her purse and walked toward the window to see what was going on, and was shot. Based on footage from his own body cam video, Officer Aaron Dean walked around Tatiana's home, shined a flashlight into a window, shouting, "Put your hands up! Show me your hands!" And less than a second later, fired a shot through her window. Authorities confirmed he did not identify himself as an officer at any point. According to his statement, he felt a threat because he thought he saw her with a gun through the window. This gun, or even an obscure object looking like a gun, was not identified on the body cam at all aaron dean was 35 years old had joined the dallas fort worth police force in april of 2018 after completing the police academy the month before he was charged and then there was an announcement that the case was being presented to the grand jury october 25 2019 so they moved pretty quickly the grand jury indicted aaron dean on the charge of murder on december 20th 2019. he was the only officer to face a murder charge in tarrant county for a shooting committed while on duty, ever. Mm. Aaron Dean had his first hearing in March of 2020, and he's still awaiting conviction. So he's out on bail, right? $300,000 bail. James Smith was the next door neighbor who called the police. He was interviewed by BBC News this summer and said he will never, ever call the police again. He was concerned that Yolanda Carr, who's a Tatiana's mother, had a heart problem and had been in and out of the ICU. His niece and nephew woke him up around 2.30 a.m. that morning of October 12th and said the front door was open. He went across the street and saw the door open and the lawn supplies were still out. And he said that was unusual. So he called a number for a wellness check. He said he knew that the police would come and they would knock on the door, do a wellness check to make sure that Yolanda was okay. And he said he won't ever do it again. And he described a Tatiana as being very kind. He said a few days before the killing there had been a car crash on the street. He remembers Tatiana rushed out to help and she stayed with the people in the car until the ambulance came. That was just her nature, he says. He intended to become a doctor, he says, for going silent for a moment. But that's not what's gonna happen now. Sometimes he would mow their lawn for them. Atatiana would bring him water, and they just chat. The day that she died, she had been mowing the lawn herself showing her nephew how to do it. He thinks that a Tatiana's case is going to be forgotten. They have postponed the trial because of the pandemic. So why are black women considered automatically a threat?
0: I mean, I'm at a loss for words. And you know me and anybody that knows me knows that that's not a common occurrence. I mean, literally doing everything that you're supposed to do. You're a model citizen. You help your your neighbors. If I'm not mistaken, she was at the house taking care of her mother, correct?
1: She was at the house taking care of her nephew. Her mother was actually in the hospital mm. and was too sick to attend her daughter's funeral at the time. Her mother was in the ICU. Um,
0: I'd like to point out something that um James said. He said that he'll never call the police again. And I think that it's important to say that oftentimes when we call the police... It's not necessarily because we need force. I think that sometimes... In situations like this, it's just what he was calling for a wellness check, right? Um, Is everything okay? Is this an an incident or is this an accident? I think that sometimes we need the police to be some sort of mediator, like a, a social worker, or, you know, to just, like we said earlier, to just de escalate the situation rather than further escalating it with firearms. I mean, and then it just, these kinds of situations just breed distrust in our community because if we can't call the police to help us, and what do we really have them for?
1: This man is, he said he will live with this guilt for the rest of his life. He said the mother, Yolanda Carr, is a model citizen and he's a postal worker. And they were supposed to be enjoying their accomplishments. She was a nurse that raised her kids to go to college. A Tatiana was a college graduate. He had kids. He'd worked hard to get them through school. And she had bought that house about four years before she died, and she was proud of that home, of her new home. And he said that it's a neighborhood that you keep your grass cut, you trim the trees, and you're proud of what you have. And he spoke of accounts of, you know, it will never be the same. He said, when I go into my driveway, I look next door and that's their driveway. When I look in my dining room out of the window, I look into their dining room. And he's reflecting on all of these memories. And then, you know, Tatiana's mother, well, her father died first. So father died four weeks after she died. And her uncle, who was her father's brother, Um, said he died because he was just brokenhearted, which is the saddest thing I've ever read. And he he said he's thinking why they didn't charge the police officer with his brother's murder as well, because the same bullet that had killed her killed him 28 days later. And then her mother died in January of 2020, three months after Tatiana's death. And the neighbor accounted that the mother had gotten home from the ICU and had been back in the home for the first time. And saw the pillow that was on top of the blanket that her mother slept with and the pillow was the face of a Tatiana and she was found down holding that pillow the day she got home just the saddest thing and um, I just have no no words I can't even process or understand it because she had a license to carry. She heard something outside. She probably didn't know that the front door was open. They weren't sleeping, so she didn't check the front door. The neighborhood probably relatively safe if they're manicuring lawns and trimming bushes and things like that and the neighbor just being concerned you know said i want to call a wellness check and then he said he stood outside when the police came he walked across the street because they were adjacent neighbors side by side Correct. so he walked across the street to see what was going on and at the time he saw that no police officers were entering the house he heard the gunshot and he said nobody would tell him what would happen you see saw all these other officers come nobody would tell him what happened. And he sat outside across the street for six hours until he watched them bring the body out of the house. And at that time, he knew that she was dead. And I just, I can't even fathom that. And then he said that no one talked to him. Nobody's talked to him since that day. So he's like, if they've been doing investigation, why has he not been talked to multiple times? And then he also talked about George Floyd and how all that outrage happened over George Floyd. And he, he was thinking, or well, why did this outrage not happen over a Tatiana, right? And we think back, the Breonna Taylor case didn't get any attention until black men also started dying and people started to protest Ahmad Arbery, him being killed when he was jogging through his neighborhood, which is a tragedy in itself. But Breonna Taylor's case, did not get the attention that it needed until Black men also were in the limelight. Correct.
0: And it took Oprah, I mean, very honestly, yep. it took Oprah taking her face off of her own magazine for the first time since its existence, to my knowledge, and putting mm-hmm. Brianna Taylor's face on it. And it took Vanity Fair to, um, I believe that the lady that did the painting for Brianna Taylor on Vanity Fair is the same one that did the portrait for Michelle Obama, And it took them, I believe that Oprah took out billboards as well. It took the strongest cavalry that we have. Like arguably Oprah is the most powerful black woman in the world, right? It took our strongest cavalry to even get to the point that we are now. And as we mentioned earlier, the forward motion is so minute, but that's what we have to hold on to, right? Like any motion, any forward motion is good motion, But we just don't understand why it's taking so long or why it's, why they're moving so slow or dragging their feet. And there's nothing to justify that in my mind, other than the fact that we're
1: black women. The pandemic is being used as an excuse for a lot of things. The fact that this trial, to my knowledge, I can't find a date set. And this girl did nothing, absolutely nothing. She wasn't dating a drug dealer. She didn't do drugs. She wasn't unemployed. She wasn't uh, hooking on the street. She wasn't uh, stripping. She wasn't, you know, twerking. She didn't have any risque personality. She had no bad posts on social media. She wasn't this big political person that pissed people off. She didn't say the wrong thing to people. She was literally there to take care of her mother and her nephew
0: and on her way to take care of people
1: to make sure they were okay. It's
0: sad because I mean, not for nothing, Nicole, I think this one hits harder because one, she went to Xavier where you and I met Two, I mean, it's so close to home that it could be you or I, I mean, not to bring it all back. This is now African-American woman. Number three, that we've talked about today, that if just one part of the situation was handled differently, she might still be alive.
1: I just sit and think, because my husband has a license to carry, and we do have a gun in our home, and we're in Texas, and we can, which is an open carry state. And I sit and think sometimes if somebody went around in my backyard and flashed a flashlight through my window, what 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 would I do differently there? The police chief, Ed Krause, has said there's no explanation for it. Betsy Price, who is the Fort Worth mayor, also was appalled. And said there was no explanation for it. And they support the indictment. And they support the efforts of the grand jury. And even with that, the pandemic still has him at home sipping Kool-Aid.
0: Is it the pandemic or is it systematic racism that has them at home Correct. sipping Kool-Aid? Correct. Because not for nothing and not to, not to, you know, take light away from the African-American women. But um, Jacob Blake, that was shot by the police in the back seven times, they... Um, handled his court proceedings via video as he was handcuffed to his hospital bed. Like, I don't mean to be a skeptic or a cynic, but miss me with the pandemic has him sitting at home and not you, but I'm saying miss the officials that are saying that the reason why this is happening, miss me with it. There's always going to be an excuse, right? Everyone has an excuse for something or the reason why they are doing or not doing something. People have a way of justifying what
1: they'd like to justify. And for me, this goes back to the lack of respect of black women right? Who's standing up for us? Because black women stand up for everybody else. Women's suffrage movement it didn't have nothing to do, to do with it. black women. It had everything to do with Caucasian women. And you have black women out supporting the movement of women in general, even though we didn't have the same rights. Uh, we talk about, you know, women and their right to vote. That didn't, that didn't apply to black women. That applied to white women. And 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 that didn't and, and those Caucasian women didn't say, well, we wanna uplift our African-American sisters and make sure they're protected so they can have the right to vote. No, we had the double whammy, right? Being black and a woman. And so if you are listening and you are a Caucasian or any other ethnicity besides black, we need to make sure that our allies are vocal allies. You can't just sit quietly and let injustices continue to prevail and you say nothing we as black women have stood up for race issues with black men we've stood up for women's issues we've stood up for lgbtq plus issues we've stood up for a lot of things childhood issues we've stood up for health care issues but nobody is standing up for us It's time for people to finally recognize black women in all avenues, whether that's making sure we have the social justice that we need, whether that is equal pay for equal work. Because realistically, there shouldn't be a reason that black women make 62% on the dollar of what white men make. That should be unheard of. And it shouldn't be that we are the second highest racial group to be employed fully and be the lowest on the pay grade besides Hispanic women. Hispanic women are lower than African-American women.
0: When you think about how women, specifically African-American women have, and I'm going to say it, have built this country. Yep. You know, I mean, maybe not physically brick and mortar built it, but cooked for your family, raised your children. I mean, created some of the things that we cannot live without today as you said, stood up for every social justice issue that there is to, no, to to really no benefit of our own. And yet we're overlooked and stepped on and often not even given a seat at the table. I mean, we're still fighting for representation. Like, I think that they hear us, but are they really listening, right? And I don't want to feel like this, but I feel a mixture of disgust and disappointment, I'm disgusted because it's taken this long and that we still have to have this conversation in 2020. I'm disappointed because I don't really see a clear cut end in sight. And I'm fearful because I fear that this 250 women will turn into 300 women or more before we have some real succinct, like sturdy, legitimate forward progress.
1: And those are the women we know of.
0: That's correct. Those are the women that we know of where race and gender was reported because there are many cases, I mean, hundreds of thousands of cases where they are
1: not mentioned. Let me go on with the learn something new. And I know that all these topics are heavy and we don't talk about heavy topics every single week, but I think that this needs to be brought to light and we need to have more discussions about it. So my learn something new this week was on um, the research of these cases, the constant discrepancy between black women, and non-Hispanic white men and women. So according to the U.S. Census, the average black woman is paid 62% of non-Hispanic white men. That was reported in 2018. The median white household had 13 times the wealth and wealth refers to the total assets minus debts of the median black household. Specifically, the median white household had about $134,000 to the median black household, 11,000. Not $111,000. 11,000. So 134,000 wealth for the Caucasian household, 11,000 for the black household. Recent research by Demos found that the median white adult who dropped out of high school has 70% more wealth than the median black adult with some college education. That means relying on education alone to close the pay gap will not work for women, especially black women which i thought was a shame black women you make sure you negotiate you make sure you ask for pay transparency and there's nothing wrong with that making sure you know where the dollars and cents are and how you get paid what you get paid that's a way to empower ourselves okay i'm off my soapbox
0: i'm gonna tell you what i learned so i watched a video last night the new orleans saints have decided that their mission this season is going to be to focus on women, specifically black women. And they have partnered with the Say Her Name movement. The video that I watched was um, DeMario Davis and Taron Armstead. And they basically said that they recognized that in our country, that there's so much emphasis on the deaths of African-American men at the hands of the police. And there are so many African-American women that have been killed by the police that are overlooked. And they felt like it was important to bring social justice it kind of gives me hope that two men that are that have such a large platform in such a, a male dominated industry have taken the time to see what the issues are in our black community specifically with our black women and say this needs to change and to utilize their platform to amplify the issues that plague black women i think that's huge I really, truly hope and believe that
1: it'll be impactful. That's amazing. Well, thank you for ending on that positive note. I'll give you a little bit more motivation with our motivational moment. And it's a quote by Oprah Winfrey. And Oprah Winfrey is just an example of excellence. Not even black excellence, not even female excellence, just he's amazing. So she said, what I know for sure is that speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we all have. I agree with this wholeheartedly. Speak your truth, ladies. Live in your truth. Be kind but unapologetic. And most importantly, know your worth. Until next time, pray, work, slay. And show off your melanated excellence. Bye. Bye oh that's deep black women conversations is produced by nicole lee plenty and janine brunson johnson executive producer ken johnson get the oh that's deep black women conversation podcast on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher google podcast or where you get your podcast please subscribe and rate us you can follow Oh That's Deep Black Women Conversations on IG at Oh That's Deep BWC. Oh That's Deep Black Women Conversations is a Mean Old Lion Media production.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it